We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction, starring score baseball insider Bruce Levine and half of Chicago's number one sports morning show, David Haw, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com sports station presented by bet rivers sportsbook good saturday morning chicago welcome inside the clubhouse right here on 670 the score and the odyssey app broadcasting live from the hyundai sports studios i am david hall back this week along with bruce levine talking baseball as we always do 9 to 11 52 weeks a year as the white Sox take the new york stage and the cubs try to Define their direction this season and maybe in general over at Wrigley Field. Good morning, Bruce. Great to see you yesterday at the ballpark. How you doing? Good morning, David. And uh, talk for about 20 seconds about where you were at last Saturday. And uh, I think it's noteworthy and people should know and you should be very proud of uh, the honor. Uh, thanks, Bruce. I was driving down to Evansville, Indiana, listening to you and Mark Grody, uh, who filled in admirably, called in from the bullpen. Yeah, it was a nice honor. It was a nice event. I was inducted into the Indiana Sports Hall of Fame, and I was uh, fortunate enough to be at the same table as part of the same class. Tommy John, 288 uh, victories as a major league lefty, a guy who had a surgery named after him, a uh, former White Sox pitcher as well. Tommy John was there. Uh, Latroy Hawkins was part of the group as well. There was a lot of baseball history, sports history, and as a native of the state of Indiana. I was eligible. It was a surprise, and it was a very memorable, fun weekend. Thank you. Well-deserved, David. Congratulations. Thanks a lot. And speaking of honors yesterday, we were both at the ballpark at Wrigley Field for the same reason. Uh, obviously, we wanted to see what happened with the Cubs and the Diamondbacks. We'll get to that later. But Fergie Jenkins gets the statue unveiled, Bruce. We have a lot to talk about today. We will get to the White Sox against the Yankees. We will get to the Cubs as they have a day game at Wrigley to this afternoon at Wrigley Field. But yesterday was all about Fergie, and the statue unveiling was terrific, and the Fergie speech was, was heartfelt, and all of the things that the Cubs did. There was pomp, and there was circumstance, and there was ceremony, and they did it well, Bruce. That was a memorable, well-done day. It, it really was, David. And uh, j- just the class of Ferguson Jenkins and the uh... – the way that uh, the Ricketts family, Crane Kenny, uh, Jed Hoyer, uh, set out to honor honor uh, Fergie uh, with this statue, and now uh, J- 
just uh, taking it a step further, David, the, the new row of statues in Gallagher Way and the way they're displayed, I think I think it's perfect where it's at now because uh, the fact that uh, that's where the fans go with their young children to, to go and play and to be kind of a timeout situation for families sometimes during games and just to see the history standing there in front of them while they're watching the screen and the, the kids are getting used to being at the ballpark. I think it's a perfect segue. It's a great baseball museum. It's a, it's a great thing to, to be as an attraction. And it also brings up uh, some fun conversations. And we'll ask you, Cubs fans, Sox fans, who's the next statue that you would like to see outside Wrigley Field, outside Guaranteed Rate Field? Who is the next statue-worthy former Cub, former White Sox player, manager, coach, or exec? I don't know that you can go more than that, Bruce. Maybe uh, a media member. I, I Maybe they're going to – have you posed for yours yet, Bruce? I, I think that when you talk about the possibilities, we had a lot of fun on Mullen Hall on Friday morning, and, and it's a conversation about who would be the next person to be cast in Browns outside Wrigley Field alongside Ernie and Ron Santo and Billy Williams, and now Ferguson Jenkins. I, I think it's a fun conversation to have. If you took a poll of fans from right now for the Chicago Cubs and White Sox, my guess, my guess would be that the next statue for the Chicago Cubs would probably be a toss-up between uh, Ryan Sandberg, who is uh, obviously one of the great Cubs and, and needs to be honored in that uh, walkway at some point, and uh, maybe Theo Epstein. Mm -hmm. uh, he he might be he might be uh, even though he, he seems like David. It seems like Theo Epstein's been gone for like ten years now. Okay, that that's how long, and it's only it's been uh, a year and change, right? I mean. He, it seems like he's been gone an awfully long time right now. It seems like the Cubs have been stumbling in the desert since he left. I know that's not fair, and I know it's not accurate, but it does. That's a very good point. Right now the Cubs are sitting there 15-23, and 23, Bruce, the fifth worst team in Major League Baseball. And it does seem like a very long time ago Theo Epstein was at the top of the baseball world, and the Cubs were right uh, there because of him. I think that's a good one. Where, where do you stand on the Joe Madden question, Bruce? I thought that was something I brought up yesterday on the air and privately off the air with some people out there at Wrigley Field and shot down. It was shot down. I was surprised how quickly people got off that Joe Madden uh, idea because I think it. Uh, there's only one manager in Cub history that has won a World Series uh, this in, in the modern era. and um, Other than Frank Chance. Yeah, you're right. Well, yeah. Modern Frank era. Chance and... and it's they're the only two, Frank Chance yeah. and uh, so um, I, and Frank Chance uh, he didn't like me when I would interview him, uh, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> I, I think I don't think the Cubs win without Joe Madden. I think they they accumulate this great talent, uh, but I, I don't I don't think uh, with, without the way he handled those people so beautifully for those first four years where they were in contention for a championship every year and won one in 2016. I do not think they win a World Series without Joe Madden. Now, revisionist history will say that they should have won more. Uh, revisionist history will show that, uh, again, 
that he was shown the door after five years of being the Cub manager. Uh, I, I don't think that takes away anything from the fact that he was the perfect manager on this well-constructed team that Epstein and Hoyer put together. Uh, but I, I, he was you, the Bruce. right guy. He was the right guy. I'm with you, Bruce, but I, I don't think that either one of us come up with a manager in, in major league history, let alone Cub history or White Sox history, that won a World Series and was w w saw his popularity diminish and decline in the city in which he won it. Joe Madden was less popular after Game 7 in Cleveland uh, than, he, than he was before that. And I, and I think that's an interesting dynamic and certainly yeah. uh, it, strange but true. And I think you're you're so right that. about that, David. And, and But that is more about what the fan base was used to and how they were conditioned over 108 years yeah. to look at fate and go, oh, no, not again. It didn't happen to us. The uh, Rajay Davis home run didn't happen to us. It wasn't a perfect uh, linear win in Game 7. It was as bumpy as 108 years were for the Cubs. And that and, and Joe just fit into that mold of, you know, hey, you were supposed to get us there. It was supposed to be more fun than this. There was too much angst to get to the World Series and win it, okay? It was too, too much angst in Game 7. You overmanaged that game, Joe, and uh, we didn't have to go through this. Point is, they don't win without Joe Madden. I'm with you on Ryan Sandberg. I think that will be the answer. Who do you think uh, out there in the audience, most statue-worthy Cubs or White Sox player, manager, or executive? Let us know, 312-644-6767. We've got a big show for you. Brandon Hughes, the Cubs rookie outfielder who they made into a pitcher, and you saw why this week when he was called up. He will join us around 920-925. Rich King, the retired WGN uh, broadcasting legend, has a book out, also knows a lot about the White Sox from having been around them in spring training. We will talk Sox with Rich King at 945, Bruce. And we've got chin music. We've got Jed Hoyer stuff. I do want to go back to where we began this. Ferguson Jenkins at the podium yesterday gave an eloquent acceptance speech and you spoke to him yesterday as did a lot of media members bruce and asked him a question about how he dealt with the personal adversity and this was part of what he had to say you know you try to let people know that sure everybody has tragedies uh i went to counseling i'm not ashamed to say it uh i think the nice thing about it they've listened to what i had to say and and you try to talk things out and that's the nice thing about it. When somebody else can, can confer with you about having a problem and you tell them and they try to understand what my, my gut feeling is, I'm, I'm kind of honored with that fact. And I've had, I've had counseling. I'm not ashamed of that. It's a beautiful thing, uh, David, that uh, on, on a day where he is celebrated, on a day that he shined, uh, he stands proudly, a man of almost 80 years of age, saying, you know what? Uh, I've been through losing two wives. I've been through losing a child, a very young child. I've been through some horrible things. And uh, I'm proud to say that I talked to a professional and I talked to professionals who helped me get through it. To me, we put uh, athletes, we put um, people in sports on a on a pedestal many times, and we don't relate to them as human beings. Ferguson Jenkins re resonated 
as a great player, a great person, and a real person to me yesterday. And that soundbite that you just heard tells me an awful lot about uh, Ferguson Jenkins and, and the world that we live in now, uh, not hiding, not running away from adversity and difficulties, but facing them head on. Well put, Bruce. And I think he could not have handled that moment better. Here he is, 79 years old. He's got the mayor of Chatham, uh, his hometown, uh, there uh, for the moment. And a lot of people, I think about 100 people or so, came to support him from his hometown. And he spoke with such grace. And you look at the numbers, and they are unfathomable. You cannot even relate to today's major league pitchers when you consider a guy with 284 career victories had 267 complete games and and I think that it was uh Tom Ricketts when he was making his remarks who pointed out that Ferguson Jenkins has more complete games in his career than all the major league pitchers who were active on rosters today combined and that speaks to just the, how much endurance he had and the strength that he pitched with and I think that you talk about and identify correctly the inner strength is what really carried Fergie Jenkins to this moment through his career, 10 with the Cubs, and uh, certainly 3,192 strikeouts. Couldn't be better. Uh, they couldn't have handled that much better than they did yesterday, the Chicago Cubs and Ferguson Jenkins. We're lucky to be there. All right, Bruce, we got to keep moving on. Let us know what you think. Statue-worthy Cubs and Sox, 312-644-6767. Brandon Hughes, man of the moment when we come back here. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Welcome back Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. David Haw, Bruce Levine here until 11 o'clock talking baseball with you. And now it is our pleasure to go out to our guest hotline sponsored by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, and that is where we find Cubs rookie left-hander, history maker, Brandon Hughes. Good morning, Brandon. How are you? Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing well. And you are one of the men of the moment this week for the Cubs. It's been a uh, difficult last few games. Cubs on a little bit of a losing streak as they get ready for the Diamondbacks today. But you have had a week, I can't imagine, you expected to have. How would you describe becoming the first Cub reliever in uh, since the expansion era to strike out the first four batters you faced and only the fourth Cub reliever since 1901 to have at least five strikeouts in your Major League debut? I mean, when you when you put it like that, it's, I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, you know. Um, <laughs> I didn't expect to do that. I mean, maybe I did expect it. I wanted to show what I got and that's what happened. It was kind of wild. I don't. I was pretty in the moment for it, and uh, a lot of emotions were obviously running through. Brandon, uh, take us back to uh, the ultimatum, or actually the the, the big change in your career uh, when you were talked to by the Cubs about, well, um, this hitting and this uh, outfield play isn't working out. What's next? What should we do next? What can we do next? Talk a little bit about converting to becoming a pitcher. Yeah, so that was uh, that was Jaron Madison. He called me in and uh, basically told me there wasn't going to be any at bats for me at, at uh, like consistent at bats at any level. So he said if I thought I was a 
a big league hitter, I could ask for my release and they would help me on a, help me get on a different team. But then they also said they loved my left arm and they would love to see it on the mound. And I hadn't pitched in, I don't know, five or six years. So that was a, that was a big decision, but I ended up going with the pitching. Yeah. So you were an outfielder at Michigan State, and a very good one, obviously, to get drafted by the Cubs uh, in the 16th round, I believe. And, and then you make the change, and that's got to be a career crossroads. There you are at spring training in, in 2019. How did you develop the sinker, the changeup, the slider, the pitches, and the finesse that you need? Maybe you knew you could always throw hard, but how difficult was it trying to you know, polish off the rough edges? Uh, that was a lot of work. It was – I mean, it was – constantly learning each and every day coming to the field um all the the cubs pitching department they were all great to me they were it it genuinely felt like everybody was on my side and i genuinely was taking in all the information that i was given and and uh that people were giving me so like i would i would throw a bullpen one coach would see something he'd mention it and then i i could take that whether it be like Casey Jacobson telling me to switch my slider grip or whether it be uh, Carlos Chantres telling me to switch my change-up grip, like whatever it may be, it, it felt like it was coming from all directions and I was just absorbing all the information. Like I, I still am absorbing all the information. A few minutes more with Brandon Hughes of the Chicago Cubs on Inside the Clubhouse. He's David Hall and Bruce Levine. We're with you 52 weeks out of the year talking baseball, 9 to 11, every Saturday morning on The Score. Um, what has been the most um, eye-opening thing for you being a Chicago Cub, playing at Wrigley Field in front of 40,000 people in this historic ballpark? Uh, with this historic franchise, what is, what what was that moment uh, so far for you where you said, uh, you know, I'm Roy Hobbs. I, I can't believe this is happening to me. You know, uh, what is what's going on here, and is is this really me? Um, yeah, this it is crazy. Um, so my debut that that was that was wild because Daniel Norris was he went into the game and ended up. Um, having a little tweak or whatever happened. So I see the trainers go out. So I start getting loose, and I'm about a quarter of the way through my band routine, and CY in the bullpen said, Hughes, you got it. I said, oh, boy. <laughs> All the emotions is running through. And uh, I had never warmed up on the mound for, like, my appearance in the game, and now I'm doing it at Wrigley. I think it was, like, 30 – it was like 32,000 or something that night. Yeah. So pretty crazy experience just warming up on the mound. But I think that helped me in the end. I think it calmed me down a little bit to already have – to be on my time when I when I go out there to warm up to pitch, you know. So that was so, that was wild. The whole That whole outing is kind of a blur to me now. I don't really know what was going on. It was working, so it was a lot of fun. I imagine it was. It was memorable for Cub fans as well. And so that was Tuesday night. Take us back 24 hours to Monday night. You could not have expected the news that Marty Peavy, the Iowa Cubs manager, broke to you at that time. How did you respond immediately, and what did you do next? Yeah, Marty called me, and that was at like 10 o'clock at night. And then, um, yeah, that, I didn't have his number, but it said Peavy. 
So I picked it up and I assumed it was Marty. He said, do you know who this is? I go, I, I think it's you, Marty. He goes, yep, you're going to be a big leaguer. And I mean, that, that initial heart race and the blood was pumping. That was insane. He, uh, yeah, when he told me I was going to be a big leaguer, that was, that was the, that was a crazy experience. And then calling all my parents and, and, uh, my family back home, telling them the news. That just, uh, it was, I didn't get much sleep that night. And I, I haven't been, I haven't been getting that much sleep recently. <laughs> Brandon, <laughs> uh, going. yeah, that's, that's unbelievable. Brandon, uh, how close did you come to saying this is probably not going to work out? I'm, you know, they're going to ask me to be a pitcher. I'm going to try it. But, um, what flashed before you when the, they told you there was no longer a spot for you, uh, as a hitter and uh what what would you have done if not a ball player uh so i got my degree in kinesiology at michigan state um so i have that to fall back on uh, my parents were always big on a plan b so i got that plan b and now it's just let's play baseball you know so um if if are you saying like if i didn't pick pitching if i would have stuck with hitting is that what you're saying no, if if you said that you know what this is it, I'm uh, I'm moving on, uh, and obviously you were not ready to do that. But I mean, would that have been it? Right, would right. that have been? Um, that, what... uh, I I always knew I had I was a pretty good pitcher. The only reason I stopped was because I had uh, shoulder surgery. I tore my labrum in college, so I, that's when I gave it up. That was my sophomore year of college, so I gave that up, focused on hitting, and then got drafted as a hitter, but. Uh, eventually the, the pitching came around and was my was technically my backup plan. So, Brandon, before we let you go, I have to ask you, your parents have been on the Marquee Sports Network long enough this week to be considered studio analysts. They have been interviewed, <laughs> and it has been a lot of fun to hear them kind of reminisce and talk about you know, the, the pride that they have in, in what you're doing. I have to ask you this. I think your mom, seems, she, she seems so calm when you were pitching – that night when Taylor McGregor caught up with her, she referenced a book you gave her for Christmas that talked about meditation and staying in the moment. Do you, what's that all about, and, and how would you describe the way they have handled and enjoyed this week? I mean, both of them, my mom and my dad and my brother, they've all been, I mean, super calm. I, I got my mom that book because I know she, said, she told me something that she gets nervous, like when she watches me live. She gets nervous. She likes looking at the box score. Like sometimes my games are late and they go to bed early, so they'll watch. They'll look at the box score the next morning, and if I do good, they'll they'll watch the game. And if, <laughs> so, so when she's watching live, she gets a little nervous. So I gave her that, I gave her that book and I said, hey, this might be pitching in the big leagues this year, so you're gonna have to be calm up there, mom. <laughs> just just trust me. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we let you go, um, favorite teammate so far, who makes you laugh, uh, who keeps it loose? Obviously, we've seen Morrell come up with you and uh, be phenomenal. He just seems to have so much personality uh, that people are already laying Javier Baez on him. Uh, what is that like, and, and, and who's, who's the guy that keeps it loose for you? Um, yes, that... Morel is he's something else he's electric I mean he plays the game with a level of passion that you don't really 
I mean, you do see it every day, but it, he just takes it to a whole other level, and you see that excitement in his in his face and the way he moves. And I mean, I can't pass that guy in the locker room without getting a hug from him. And he just comes up to me, and and pretty much everybody, he'll go up and just hug everybody. So I mean, that that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, he hugged me yesterday. <laughs> What'd you say? What'd you say? He hugged me yesterday. I, I, I met him a second time. He hugged me yesterday. So th- this yeah, is a. Uh, you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say Scott Efros. Uh, he he was my he's been my friend for a couple of years now. Like when he was making his switch. So he's all, he's been unbelievable. I mean, everybody in the clubhouse really has has been good to me, and it feels like they're all on the right side, and we're ready to win. Brandon, everybody's enjoying your quick rise here in Chicago. Continued uh, good luck to you. Congratulations. Savor the experience and continue to seize the opportunity. Uh, best of luck the rest of the year. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Brandon Hughes, the converted outfielder, left-handed pitcher, reliever, in that Cub bullpen, Bruce, had come on this week and really made a quick, strong first impression. You know, he did, and and so is Morrell. Uh, you know, I was thinking back. You you guys kid me a lot about um, my baseball history and been being around since uh, Frank Chance and uh, the the 1908 Cubs. They they posted yesterday, uh, two days ago in the Cub notes, uh, guys that hit home runs in their first at bat as a Cub, and I go all the way back to. Um, I've seen every one of them going back to 1957 uh, via either WGN-TV or being at the ballpark, except uh, the first guy. So I go back to 57, I go back to 61, Frank and Narga, and then, uh, uh, and, and then all, all the guys going forward. There's about six of them, and now... Uh, now watching Morrell do the same thing, it's uh, it's exciting and it's also uh, at the same time going, man, you are an old dude. There, well, there is Bruce, no question about it. Please do tell me, what was Gabby Hartnett's first at bat like? Well, Leo, uh, I didn't call him Gabby, I called him Leo. Uh, <laughs> okay. And uh, I used to go over to the bowling, his bowling alley in Lincolnwood and uh, hang out. Uh, no, uh, that, that's a little past me, but uh, you know, again, we're going back to 1957 when I was uh, seven years old, okay, and uh, watching uh, Frank Narga hit a home run in his first at bat and a triple in his second at bat, and it's like, okay, you know, Jack Brickhouse automatically said this is could be the next superstar, and they didn't even use that term back at that time, star player for the Chicago Cubs. He was back in the minor leagues within like three weeks. Never <laughs> That's great history. Yeah. And certainly we're talking about the future because, let's, be, let's face it, it beats talking about the present with the Cubs. Christopher Morrell, uh, Brandon Hughes, guys who came up this week and made immediate impacts. Let's talk about Morrell for a second, Bruce. I think that he has already played three positions uh, with the Cubs. He can play third. He played second. He's a center fielder. He's got, as you mentioned, uh, the charisma where he's a hugger. He hugged you yesterday. He's one of those guys who's with an infectious, uh, charismatic personality. Can he hit? At the major league level, do you think his versatility will be a plus? How long is he going to stay? It's a great question. It's one that we're going to have on the Marquee Sports Network in the pregame show today, too, is, uh, you know, where does he fit in and, and uh, how, long will the, how long will it take to adjust 
uh, the league to adjust to what he can't hit. You know, you, you always caution people. You don't want to be, you know, Debbie Downer. But the reality is, is that uh, what what we saw with Suzuki and what he's still rebounding from as far as the adjustment from the league, that is the reality of Major League Baseball. It takes them a good couple of weeks. It takes scouts maybe three or four uh you know, different series for them to know what you cannot hit, okay, what their pitchers should do, where the catcher should set up, what he should call for to get you out. So uh, you don't want to jump to any conclusions other than uh, the fact that, uh, you know, there is an adjustment and there is a reason why the greatest players in the game have uh, made uh, 70% outs throughout their career on their way to the Hall of Fame. I'll be curious to see if Morell is in the lineup today when Justin Steele matches up with Madison Bumgarner. Pre-game here on the score, 1245 Cubs and Diamondbacks. And, and Bruce, that will be something to see where, where they use him, how he adjusts and adapts, and, and what, how much he plays because that will tell us a little bit more about the direction maybe the Cubs are headed this year. And that takes us out to the score listener line, powered by BetQL, Bet Smarter, and Beat the Books. Mike is on the north side. Good morning, Mike. Welcome inside the clubhouse. Hey, what's up? So, Bruce, I was reading how you were kind of confused, or you were talking a couple weeks ago, you were kind of confused. Jed told you in September he's going to make a lot of moves because we need to. Then he picked up two big names and then stopped, and you were kind of confused about that. In in Theo's plan, he had a bunch of – he had a plan, and they had a bunch of number one picks that were ready to go. I, I, no matter who I ask this question to, they can't seem to answer it. Yeah, I think Morrell and Hughes, I don't think they were on the radar. They're a nice story for a week. But, mm-hmm. I, again, I've got to ask, what exactly is Jed's plan? Because there is nobody in A right now. The guys that he traded for are in single A. And right now, and they're not even number one prospects. Right. So, I... I Mike, stay on the line. Stay on the line for a second. Uh, We're going to – I'll answer your question, then we got to take a break because our good friend Rich King is going to join us. But, Mike, the answer is is that the Cubs can quickly go after Carlos Correa next year when he declares free agency again and quickly decide whether to give him six, seven, or eight years once again if they want to. That's the difference in a rebuild for the Chicago Cubs and Jed Hoyer – compared to Kansas City, compared to Seattle, compared to uh, the uh, Miami Marlins. There is that switch, and there is that ability to spend the money when they feel it's there. And the Ricketts family uh, approves of that happening when it's there. And they did approve it when they made their attempt to get Correa in the offseason, and it didn't happen. So again, I think that's the thing that you should not be confused about. They will spend money. We saw it when they went after Suzuki. We saw it when they went after Stroman. And you will see it again in 2022. Thanks for the phone call, Mike. Bruce, I would only add to that before we break. If that's the case, and I I don't necessarily doubt you, but you are going to be in a position to spend on Carlos Correa, for example, in 2023. That says you want to contend in 2023. How is that direction and in and, and the, the direction you should take if you're out of the Chicago Cubs, how is that compatible and consistent with trading Wilson Contreras? How is that compatible and consistent with getting Thompson, rid of somebody who is a foundational piece? Thompson, Steele, Killian. Okay. 
those are the most important names okay. for Cubdom right now. That's where winning begins, that starting rotation. Those guys being developed this year, that's going to determine what's, what kind of moves are made for the near future and beyond that. We will get back to the ambiguous plan that the Cubs are executing. Those are my words, not Jed Hoyer's. We will talk about that or, or at mine. the top of the hour. But when we come back, we're going to talk to a broadcasting legend in Chicago who has a book out and knows a little bit about the White Sox. Rich King here on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, David Hall, Bruce Levine. Until 11 o'clock, big day here on the score, 1245 Cubs pregame. They play the Diamondbacks, Justin Steele and Madison Bumgarner at Wrigley Field. And the White Sox also have a day game out in New York after getting Friday night's game rained out and rescheduled tomorrow as part of a doubleheader. Today, Dallas Keuchel, Nelson Cortez, that matchup, which probably does not favor the White Sox, but you never know, Bruce. That could be one of those things that baseball happens, and uh, Dallas Keuchel has been more solid lately than maybe some people expected, so it's time for him to deliver again. By the way, David, uh, your question is answered. Christopher Morrell batting seventh, playing center field today against your or their Arizona Diamondbacks. That's interesting. That's his third position this week. He started, correct? Third base, second base, center field. That's versatility you value. You wonder if it will be a blessing or a curse because you wonder, you know, do you want him to, to be a guy you plug in at one spot? But I think there's a lot to like about what we have seen so far. Uh, if, if, if he can you know, give them a little bit of an oomph and, be, and stay consistent, that's a good thing. We will soon find the morale of the story. We soon will. <laughs> well played, Bruce. Where are you with the White Sox? 1919 heading into New York. It was uh, a series in Kansas City that I think created a share of controversy. We'll get to some of that later. But also just reinforce just how inconsistent this team has been. Runners in scoring position. I think the question, big picture for the White Sox, is what's been more disappointing, the defense or the offense? I think it probably is the offense because, Bruce, you said something on our show yesterday morning. You said the Sox can't be expected to be a juggernaut. Why not? Uh, just uh, the, their offense, David. Uh, the, they they have outstanding offensive players, but uh, collectively um, – they don't often put together rallies. Okay, they don't. They don't often stream. Uh, you know, walks, uh, single, double, uh, mix in with a home run. Home run ball has not been there for the Chicago White Sox so far this year. So they haven't slugged. But more importantly, they don't walk. When you don't slug and you don't walk, you're going to struggle to score runs. I don't care what kind of team, whether it's little league or major league baseball, you have to have men on base to. Uh, to put together, uh, you know, a couple innings where you put up some crooked, crooked numbers, and the White Sox have just not been able to do that. So a lot of stress on the starting rotation, oh, even more stress on the bullpen to keep games close. I think it's I, been plenty good enough. I have two, uh, two responses to that. Number one, we can't move the goalposts here. We expected the White Sox to be an offensive juggernaut. So I think to accept the fact that they're not, 
we shouldn't let them off the hook. They should hit better than they're hitting, and they should not have this different approach. They've got pretty much the same guys, Bruce, and last year they didn't have this kind of issue with selectivity and plate discipline. They took their walks. This year they do not. And so I think that's, you know, it sounds like obviously something has changed. And I wonder, how do you affect the overall approach? And is it a hitting coach issue? Is it something that you – it's the oldest kind of scapegoat in baseball. But is Frank Menachino on solid ground in your mind? Yeah, very definitely. You know, you're not going to teach these guys to walk because they, they don't. But you can, you can say, look um, – you're going to have to be more selective in your bats, okay? You you are not uh, you are going to have to spend more time in the video room, watching how you've been set up. More importantly, how that pitcher on that particular day what he has and what he's what he has in his arsenal that he's going to get, try to get you out on. What are waste pitches? What are pitches that he uses to throw strikes? Uh, it's going to have to be you know not see ball hit ball, but be ready for the pitches that you're going to see. And it's got to start this weekend, David, in uh, New York. They they must have a nice showing against the Yankees this weekend. Not for me or you or the fans. They need it for their own, uh, their own right. morale. They need well, that to know we can play with the big boys. Morale, not morale. That's very well played, Bruce, and well put. I said yesterday, before the game got canceled, I, I tweeted this once we saw the lineup. It was the smartest lineup of the season and the one that wasn't worthy of anyone's criticism. It had Andrew Vaughn batting second. And then somebody pointed out to me uh, later, a White Sox fan messaged me and reminded me, I didn't realize this, that in 1983, I think around May 20th it was, where Tony La Russa made a change in the batting order. The Sox were languishing, I think, seven games below 500. Carlton Fisk was inserted into the number two spot, and the rest was Sox history. Could they be at a, a launching point now? Could not necessarily putting Andrew Vaughn at number two, but aren't they due to go on a roll? And what is the key to try to getting hot right now? I just said, you know, you, you have to stay who, with who you are. You know, again, you can't pre, you can't pretend to be uh, uh, Tim Anderson and start seeing too many pitches. He's a 300 hitter. Those are rare guys. Uh, you don't tell him, hey, be more patient at the plate because what he does he does so very well and better than most. So you, you have to know who your guys are. You have to know what they're capable of. But, uh, you know, some of the younger players that are still evolving, you know, guys like Vaughn, um, you know, guys like Sheets, uh, these guys, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not just, hey, we're throwing you out there and we expect to win and win a World Series. It's about player development, even for the very excellent teams like the White Sox are supposed to be. Uh, and, and there's plenty of player development going on with the pitching staff as well, with the younger pitchers in the bullpen, as well as, uh, you know, some of the, your main guys out on the field. But, uh, again, I, I w- I'm not really worried about the White Sox right now. Uh, I think they're still in a very good position. I just think that they have to prove to themselves a little bit that they can play at the top level with the top teams and, and not, no better time than this weekend. I am worried. Bruce, only because their expectations tell me I should be. I know it's early, but I do not want to hold this team to a standard of, okay, well, they're close enough to win the division and be better than the Twins and the Guardians and the Royals and everybody else in that division. I think I want to hold them to the standard of the team that walked off the field after getting dominated by the Houston Astros. They pledged to be different. 
They pledged to make changes. And I don't see many things that are different and many much that has changed. I see a very similar team that has very similar weaknesses. And I just don't want to accept the fact that here they are ready to launch and ready to go because they said that they would. I don't see it. And I, I want to see it. And, but it's, it's getting late pretty early. And, and I don't want to overreact to anything. But this is the same type of team we're seeing uh, in 2022 that we saw in 2021. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, it's just uh, there's there's some things that are, aren't the same. But again, I believe in the Chicago White Sox pitching. Okay, I believe that Lance Lynn will be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, I believe that they're, they're going to continue to pitch and get people out. I believe, it, more importantly, I believe in that bullpen, uh, most likely being the best in baseball. And if, if it continues that way and they're lucky enough to avoid injuries, uh, I believe the White Sox are going to be there at the end in their division and be ready to contend for a, a championship at the end of the, the season. Really want your opinion based on your experience here. Johnny Cueto, we didn't get a chance to talk about this earlier in the week. Boy, was he fun to watch. And boy, did he do exactly what we expected him to do in a best-case scenario. Mixed, uh, changed speeds, changed rhythms. He was keeping guys off balance. Do you expect that again from Johnny Cueto against a very difficult Yankees lineup tomorrow in New York? He's, a, he's scheduled to pitch the first game of that doubleheader. I think the advantage uh, for Cueto is that it's a heavily laden right-handed lineup. Okay, so I think the the change in the uh, the fadeaways and the way that he pitched so beautifully against Kansas City is not going to necessarily resonate the same against a a, a tremendously better uh, professional hitting team like the Yankees. But a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of hope against the right-handers, you know, against you know maybe against uh, Rizzo and uh, you know. Uh, a Gallo might be a little bit more difficult. I think he can. I think he can get a good five innings out of it. If he if pitches five innings, gives up three runs against the Yankees, uh, I would be happy with that outing. Okay, Bruce. Before we break, quickly, the Sun Times had a poll this morning. Steve Greenberg does this every uh, week, and he, he does a great job with it. One of the questions was fill in the blank. I blank trust Tony Larusa's managing of the White Sox, and the que- the choices are completely, generally, sort of, or don't. And D, don't, received 64.9% of the 715 votes that were cast. Very little trust, very little, very low approval rating of the job Tony LaRussa is doing. What say you? What, what do I say? I say that every team that's a disappointing coming out, uh, the manager uh, has to wear some of it, okay? That's just a reality. Uh, I think fans have every right in the world to second-guess a manager all the way through. Uh, in the case of Larusa, I don't have any doubt that he's the right guy to run this team. I think he handles pitching as good as anybody in baseball. Give him a good pitching staff. He's going to bring you home a winner. Uh, as far as the, the clunky out- offense, uh, you and I have talked about this many weeks so far, uh, going back to the first week of the season. It might stay clunky. It might be this way. But I still think the White Sox have enough talent you know, Robert and Anderson have been carrying this team uh, for most of the first uh, 35 games of the season. There are other very good offensive players that have to step up. Eventually, I think they will. But for, for right now, pitching and defense. When they've won games, they've had clean defensive games. That's the concentration you should watch if you're a White Sox fan. Bruce, you're reasonable, you're rational, and I respect your opinion. I'd still check D. 
I don't have much well, trust in Tony LaRusso. You know, you're I on the air six, six days a week, and you have to make it a little bit more interesting than I do. <laughs> Thank you for explaining my explanation for me. And I am also tethered to reality, just like Jed Hoyer. We'll talk about the Cubs' plan when we come back. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs> 